0: You're listening to OFM, The Sound of Your Life. This is At Lunch with myself, uh, Bilani Nausekepe. And did you know that around 14,850 of the Northwest University's graduates are making a difference throughout the world due to the university's commitment to excellence in teaching and learning? So today on the show, we have Professor Lienta Grobler, and she is the MBA Program Manager and Associate Professor in Digitalization and Digital Economies at the NWU Business School. She's the team leader of the NWU's Digital Health, health research group and herself and colleagues created the chop chop health screening app a remote ventilator monitoring solution and a digital baby measuring scale prof it's so lovely to have you on the show today i think there's a lot that uh, i and we as listeners can learn from you so what is the relationship between industry development and academic research in health informatics
1: hi felonnie and thank you for having me it is absolutely crucial that we have a good relationship between the two mm. because um, regardless of how smart we think our engineering solutions are, we often find that solutions in industry or especially in the um, in the healthcare sector mm. tend to be regarded as not invented here or not developed with us.
2: Mm. So
1: um, in our group, we specifically focus on fostering a very close relationship, having those healthcare workers as part of our development process and co-creating solutions with them. And by doing that, we can really ensure that the solutions that we create will be accepted by whoever needs to use them and that the solutions actually fit into the way that they are doing their jobs.
2: Mm-hmm. So it doesn't
1: distract from their real job um, and it really supports them. So um, it is a relationship that I think often gets neglected quite a lot. So from our point of view, it is absolutely critical that we really work well with industry, have them as our partners and not our clients, and co-create solutions that are really created with them to be used.
0: I love that. Um, Working together instead of, you know, just creating admin for the industry. I really, really love that. How can digital health technologies be used to help health systems improve universal access in resource-constrained settings?
1: Well, From our point of view, we see that quite often, especially if we look at solutions that are created in first world countries, Mm. uh, people assume that data just exists. And that's absolutely not the case in African health systems. Mm. So by creating solutions like we are, that are creating the data, we can actually make informed decisions. So we believe that in an aim to provide universal healthcare to everyone in South Africa and um, even beyond South Africa and the rest of Africa, we should ensure that our technologies can be used in telemedicine settings where people might not necessarily have access to a a doctor or clinician on site. Mm. Through mobile health, uh, really using the fact that South Africa and Africa has a huge smartphone penetration rate, much higher than other places in the world. And by utilizing that fact, we can really provide access to a lot more services if we Mm. use mobile technology. And then, of course, if we can have accurate data on our patients and have it in an electronic format, we can use the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning to make sure that we see patterns, especially in the huge amounts of data being created by large numbers of patients, that we start to see patterns before people may not may observe them. Mm. And then, of course, this would also enable our clinicians to share diagnoses and trends between themselves and appropriate solutions between them because they can share their experience.
0: Mm, I agree with what you're saying and I love that you guys are developing work in South Africa for South Africa and then for the rest of Africa after that. So, Prof. Lenta, you are the project leader of the team at the NWU who developed a remote ventilator monitoring solution and digital baby measuring scale and automated hand rehabilitation system for traumatic brain uh-huh. injury survivors. Please tell us more about these inventions and how they will benefit South Africa's um, struggling healthcare system.
1: Sure. These are three examples of many that we have created as a team. And our main focus is bridging the distance element. Hmm. So monitoring while patients are at home Hmm. or monitoring while data is being collected. So if we use the baby monitoring solution, for instance, we saw that a lot of the time, when infants are taken for observations to the clinic, that the nurses might not necessarily measure very accurately or very repeatedly, uh, repeatedly, mm-hmm. when we observe them. And then, of course, we rely on very busy individuals to not only measure accurately, but then also to write down the uh, the accurate information to plot it and to make some judgments based on those plots. Mm. So it's a lot of responsibility that we place on someone that is already very busy and have a main priority of looking after people. Yes. So we have created a solution that can automatically and digitally measure the baby's length, weight and head circumference all simultaneously without requiring the nurse to make too much um, judgment calls herself. Then we also interpret that information based on the baby's age, which we also then include digitally. And then based on the age and sex of the baby, we can see how far that baby falls within the expected scope. And then we can automatically also alert a doctor or a dietitian, for instance, but there's someone within a healthcare facility that requires some form of intervention.
2: Mm. And by
1: doing this, we can actually ensure that kids get help and access to nutritious food much sooner Mm. and before that baby is admitted to hospital. The remote ventilation monitoring solution was created during the COVID-19 pandemic Mm. when we saw huge numbers of people being admitted to hospital and the very critical I ICU staff being totally overwhelmed by the huge numbers of people that they needed to look after. Yeah. We also saw during that time that those people were the most vulnerable, even though they had the most critical skills. So we created a solution that can work with any uh, make or model of ventilator and without making changes to the ventilator, be able to monitor these patients in terms of their breathing. Um, and also again applied machine learning to see once the breathing patterns start deviating from the norm so we could send someone to intervene much sooner. Mm. This does not necessarily mean that we would replace a nurse because they will always be the most crucial parts of the um, patient monitoring system mm. but we could help them focus on the information that they needed much easier than being overwhelmed in a room full of people with a lot of alarms going off the entire time. And then also giving them the distance and the ability to supervise someone at the patient's bedside who can then um, ensure that these crucial people are protected in times like a pandemic when you need to really make sure that they... Protected, yeah. and then of course we um, could also make this solution available over distances, so sharing resources
2: mm. from
1: one hospital to another by having experienced staff available to supervise less experienced staff on site. This is also something that is very suitable to the hospital at home setting, mm. where we might uh, would prefer to have patients with their families, especially if they are C O P D kind of patients that need to undergo ventilation. It's not necessarily an ICU setting, but we need to make sure that they are consuming the oxygen and that they are still okay. And we can do this again while the patient is in the comfort of their home between Mm -hmm. their loved ones where they quite frequently um, recover much better because of the proximity to their loved ones. The hand monitoring solution um, of stroke patients was actually the first invention by our group about eight years ago. It was a collaborative effort between some of our final year students, um, later on postgraduate students, and myself. It was motivated by a personal story, and I cannot deal with it. It was motivated by the fact that my father suffered a stroke and couldn't use his hands to pick up my kids at the time and we learned a lot of lessons from that Mm. um, observing whether or not a patient is actually adhering to their exercise protocols Mm. whether or not it is working and actually working with the patient to keep their spirits up especially when it feels like they're not really making any progress Mm. that product has since evolved and uh, while we learned a lot of lessons from it especially the fact that it is very expensive to through the regulatory issues and processes regarding medical device development. Mm. We have implemented this in a new rehabilitation product since and using the data from that to also inform the intelligent prosthetics project that the Faculty of Engineering is currently working on and specifically aiming to go and compete with the best prosthetics teams in the world at the 2024 sabathlon competition. And that is something that we could never have foreseen when we started with this project eight years ago, that Mm -hmm. this would actually be informing product development in a completely different limb with um, incredible results that would actually make it possible for us to give affordable prosthetics to people in
0: Africa. Sure, that's incredible. How far are these projects developed and what are the next steps in developing them further?
1: All of our solutions were developed until the proof of concept stage. Okay. We were able to demonstrate a minimum viable product to investors and that is the point where we are at currently. Okay. We have solutions that are ready for someone to take to market. Hmm. Of course, it would be first prize um, if one of us could do that. Yeah. However, That is unfortunately one of the drawbacks of creating these solutions um, in a university setting is that quite often we uh, we have other responsibilities as well Mm -hmm. as we need partners and industry to work with us to take these solutions and through licensing and commercialization then take it forward. So that is why we actively work with our technology transfer and innovation support office to be able to do that. So they are in the process of helping us to commercialize these products and to find the right license for our solutions.
0: Okay, Prof, we don't have a lot of time left. So very short, what obstacles must healthcare digital transformation still overcome?
1: Well, I see two major ones, the one being interoperability. Um, Solutions are quite often being created in a silo and people are creating a solution that will work for them and not necessarily something that can work with other solutions. So that is the one. And then the second one being the regulatory and legal barriers. It is extremely expensive to go through this process. Currently, for medical devices specifically, um, South Africa still relies on the US FDA and the European EMA Mm. regulatory framework, and that means that you need someone present in country to represent you and pay them for that as well. So we pay in euros, we pay in dollars, and it's really not a favorable position to be in Mm -hmm. with our exchange rate currently.
0: Sure, Prof, it was wonderful to talk to you. I learned so much from you and you guys are doing incredible work. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. That is Prof. Leenta Grobler. She uh, is at NWU and we were speaking about transforming healthcare in Africa, the potential of digital health and medical devices. If you want to listen to the rest of this discussion uh, or you want to listen to the podcast again, you can do so on ofm.co.za.